0: You're listening to a Radio 1 91FM podcast.
1: Now it's time to talk about the end-of-life choice bill and the referendum uh, that is uh, taking place right now as part of the general um, election. Of course, there's two referenda... One on uh, cannabis, and the other one on end of life choice. Um, and I'm joined by Dr. Jessica Young, PhD candidate from the Department of General Practice and Rural Health here at Otago, and Chief Executive of Yes for Compassion, uh, a pro end of life um, group. End of no, pro end of life group. No, that's not what I mean. They're not pro end of life. <laughs> Uh, we are pro-end pro-
0: of life. Yeah, you're pro-choice. Uh, no choice. Yeah, pro. pro choice. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: how, and, and how you end that life. Um, so yeah. good morning to you. Pardon? <laughs> good, oh,
2: morning.
0: good morning. Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, And no, no, you're right. How are we today? Uh, yes, good, good, mm-hmm,
0: good. Mm-hmm.
1: How about you, Jamie? Um, I'm not too bad, actually, not too bad. It's been a good show so far, and uh, I think it's going to get a little bit better now. Um, so what were you doing on the 8th of June 2017?
0: Oh, I'd started my PhD at that point, and um, at that point, or the day before, the bill was just in the ballot tin, Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: um, a possibility that we would have an end-of-life choice conversation that was prompted by the Lucretia Seals case, so um, yeah, I was quite excited when the bill was pulled out but yeah it was funny it was throughout my PhD there was this shifting landscape of whether the bill would pass and sort of you know there's so many hurdles for a bill to get through to becoming an act and now we've got this extra hurdle of the referendum so um it just kind of kept getting delayed and delayed but you Mm -hmm. know we're almost there now
1: yeah we are almost there but did you ever think in your wildest dreams that you would be um so involved in such a massive debate
0: no. Um, and I mean, it really does feel like a logical progression for me to, so for my, for my PhD, I interview people who are dying mm-hmm. um, about why they would potentially choose assisted dying if it was available to them. And so part of the use for Compassion campaign is sharing dying people's stories. And so that feels like a really um, a good platform to continue sharing my PhD participants' views and you know, making sure that dying people have a voice in this debate because it's all very well for doctors to say what they do and don't think should happen, and you know, religious leaders. Actually, these are the people directly affected
1: by yeah. um, how
0: this vote goes.
1: So, uh, tell us a little bit about your research. What, what exactly were you looking at, and how are you doing it?
0: Um, so, I interviewed 14 people who were within the last 12 months of life and some of their family members and mm-hmm. um, they went to their homes and just had you know these wide ranging chats to them about sort of what was important to them at the end of life why did this choice make sense to them it wasn't something that they necessarily wanted to make but yeah um you know just having that option available to them it was kind of like an exit strategy um if things got too bad that they would um choose this but if they were if dying was going okay for them um, then they would happily live out as much of their dying as possible, but if it, they were suffering unbearably at the end of life, it was then they needed this
1: option. Yeah, because that's what it is, it's an option, right?
0: Absolutely, you yeah. know, it's And not, it's not an option anyone wants to take, right, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, have you had to hang out with David Seymour much?
0: I have had a little bit to do with David <laughs> Seymour, considering it's his bill, um, but this is so much bigger than him. Yes. Uh, you know, there's but. The majority of the country supports this. Um, there's a, a whole bunch of, um, you know, people from across the boards. Like our, um, our board has representation from lots of different communities, including religious, Maori, mm-hmm. um legal, uh, you know, all sorts of people across the political spectrum. Um, and interestingly, actually, this is... Um, there's support across every political group, except for the Conservatives for this and Greens had a policy on this um, whereas other parties didn't so I mean it's a really it's a it's a broadly supported uh, bill or act I suppose now across most sectors of society
1: Um, The 14 people you interviewed did you know their opinions before you talked to them?
0: Yeah, so what I did is I put out a media release and that got um, picked up and shared on social media quite widely and I had 27 people contact me and then I screened them according to my criteria. So basically I wanted to find people who would potentially access the bill so in that last phase of life,
2: uh-huh.
0: um, I made it 12 months so I could potentially do some follow-up with people. But so in that last phase of life, would consider choosing assisted dying um, uh, mentally competent to make healthcare decisions so no kind of dementia um, yeah. or anything. Any people like that? Um, yes, so there were only three of those twenty-seven people who didn't want assisted dying. Actually, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: can you give um, us? And- oh, sorry. Oh, no,
1: I was just going to say, can you give us like a little bit of a breakdown on how you would be eligible for assisted dying?
0: Sure. So uh, first, you need to go to your doctor. Your doctor can't suggest it, and you need to meet the. They need to assess you to meet the criteria. So you need to be. Uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness and you need to have a prognosis of that, um, that illness is likely to end your life within six months and
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, you need to be suffering unbearably and that's a, um, a, I guess a subjective criteria so you need to say to the doctor my suffering can't be relieved um, in a way that's acceptable to me but not only that, you need to be sort of in an advanced state of physical decline, so it's really about the end of life. It's not enough to say, okay, well, I've just got this terminal diagnosis, you know, let me edit it, but the people in my study were really going to wait till the end of... Um, end of their life to take this option and the research for overseas shows that people only uh, hasten their deaths by about 10 days. So back to the criteria, Um, you need to be assessed as mentally competent to make that decision so that's about um, understanding the decision, weighing up that information, um, communicating that decision and making I guess basically convincing two doctors that this is the right decision for you, that your wish is free informed and enduring Mm -hmm. so a doctor needs to go through a whole bunch of safeguards with you for example um, need to tell you at any point you can change your mind Um, they need to assess that you're not being pressured by anyone and if you are being pressured or they even suspect that then they need to stop the process and refer it to the registrar registrar, who's the oversight body from the Ministry of Health uh-huh. Um, other safeguards include um, making sure that you know about all your other options, um, including palliative care. So, um, if necessary, giving you referrals for that. Um, yep. Making sure that um, you've had the opportunity to talk to family if you want to do that. Um, the overseas data suggests that only 4% of people don't actually involve their family in this, so that's pretty rare. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, Uh, their doctor needs to talk to your other health professionals to get a picture of, um, you know, your care, your prognosis, um, who you are, making sure that they know that you're not being pressured as well. Um, Yeah, and so then they have to request to talk to your family members um, because patient confidentiality is obviously a huge principle in medicine, and so they can't just go talk to people without your permission. Yeah. those are the main ones. There's some other
1: ones. What if I've got six months to live, but there is treatment out there that can extend my life? Do I have to go through that uh, treatment first before I can take this um, option?
0: No. So in any um, circumstance, no one can be forced to to take treatment. That's in our Bill of Rights, that you don't have to undergo medical treatment if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. but the people in my study were willing to take any kind of treatment that was available to them to potentially buy them more time. And this this choice isn't people's first choice. This is the option of last resort. So they will take all of those treatment options if they're available to them. Yeah. Unfortunately, we know that people's treatment options eventually run out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so technically, no, you don't have to, but um, I think more
1: likely that people will take every every option that they can. Yeah, well, I mean, there's also um, options out there that aren't afforded to some New Zealanders. Um, some can't afford it. Some of drugs aren't funded by Pharmac. Yep. Um, so we don't have, you know, so, so people might be restricted to options purely on the basis of their economic situation. Mm. So that makes things quite difficult, doesn't it?
0: It does. I, I mean, there's rationing of care all over the show, but what the evidence from the overseas shows is that people, um, 90% of people, are already accessing palliative care
2: mm-hmm.
0: because they've, they've run out of treatment options, so then you've got a palliative care. Yep. Um, and so, you know, these people are doing this as like a complementary part of the, the spectrum of end of life care. It's not that they don't have the options for um, you know, palliative care, for example. They
1: complement each, each other. Now, outer abuse in this country is a huge problem, it's a massive problem uh, and elderly, uh, in, in many different ways, but elderly people are quite often coerced into situations they don't want to be in, be it giving away their life savings uh, to a scammer or their family uh, and, and things like that. And, and one of uh, the things that the no vote is saying that um, you know, coercion could be a, a big problem here. What are the safeguards against that and are, are they completely watertight?
0: So, yeah, absolutely, um, the abuse is happening, but putting people in front of two doctors that they have to then try and convince um, that they meet the criteria of this bill uh, is drawing a higher level of scrutiny to people at end of life than we currently have. Yeah. The doctors are trained to detect coercion. They do that as part of their day-to-day practice. Um, And if we're saying that doctors can't detect coercion, then we're saying that doctors can't do their jobs full stop. evidence from overseas shows that um, it is extremely rare that someone is coerced into this decision, and when that does happen, um, the safeguards are sufficient to protect that. Um, So, you know, for example, the Victoria um, chair, uh, Victoria has a legislation that's been in place for about a year now, and she's a former Supreme Court judge. Mm
2: -hmm. She
0: says, I've not seen it, believe me, I've been looking, but there's no evidence of this um, coercion and the feedbacks being predominantly about how peaceful these deaths were, how you know wonderful it was to have my loved ones around me and be able to choose the kind of death and celebrate life.
1: Mm-hmm. With, with the, We're talking about the doctors. What type of doctors do they have to be? Are they specialised doctors? Is one a psychologist?
0: No, so it's um, so technically psychologists aren't doctors. Um, oh, sorry. So there's, <laughs> there's two doctors, and they can be... Um, they can be GPs who are specialists in generalism, I do note.
2: But yeah.
0: um, you don't have to have a specialist involved in your care. What we've seen overseas is that that really limits people's ability to um, access this because, you know, say special, you know, say there's only five specialists in the in the region and three of them object to it, then that really falls to two people to um, kind of do all of the cases. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, but if your GP is overseeing that process for you, they still need to go and talk to your specialist health professionals, even if they're not willing to be involved in that. Does that make sense? Yeah. What if a so specialist input, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would have assumed so anyway. Um, what if my grandma has got, you know, uh, is mentally incapable of, of consenting, um, but I know that's what she wants. Can I, you know, consent for her?
0: No, 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 no. So um, no welfare guardians can make decisions for people on their behalf. And even if you have gone through the process and had been assessed as having competency to make this decision throughout the whole process, and then at the end you know that, uh, for example, the tumours have spread to your brain and you no longer have capacity, and if you can't give consent at the time of receiving the medication, Mm -hmm. that rules you out. So it really is about that person making this decision for themselves, giving consent throughout the whole process. You know, at every stage you ask, is this something that you want to proceed with? Do you want to delay or stop the process? So it's really about that person giving consent for themselves.
1: Yeah, well that's not what the no vote's saying. They're saying that you only have to be assessed to be mentally competent at the uh, at the beginning uh, and not when the dose is administered.
0: Yeah, so note this Act states the eligible person and the eligible person is defined by having capacity. So they've actually misinterpreted the act. In that way, and a number of other ways, um, yeah. that presented that <laughs> act to um, you know spread fear, uncertainty, and doubt.
1: Yeah, but that's not fair. I mean, that, no. uh, the fear, in, in, in the other way, if no.
0: <laughs> no, I mean they're scaremongering people into this. and you know the risk of what happens is that this law won't pass, and there's people um, suffering, and there's people taking their own lives. There's at least one Kiwi every week, or you know fifty two in a year. Uh, taking their own lives out of desperation because they don't have this choice and I mean to me not doing something about those deaths is um, unacceptable I and mean, we can put a safe law in place
1: um, What about doctors? What are doctors saying about this because you know it's doctors that are going to sign off on this kind of thing and they're you know mm-hmm. doctors are traditionally all about keeping people alive you know that's part of the oath that they take um, yeah. you know do you every bit of care that you can to keep people living uh, as, as much as they can. So, I mean, it must be a quite yes. difficult position for doctors to be in. Can, and can they opt out of being involved in this type of thing, or does every doctor have to kind of be part of it?
0: No. So there's a conscientious objective objection clause, um, so they can say, um, I conscientiously object to participating in this. You can go to this organisation, which is the Ministry of Health Support and Consultation End-of-Life Support organization um, and get a doctor from them mm-hmm. so the Hippocratic Oath is a funny one and um, not many medical schools actually take the Hippocratic Oath anymore
1: it's very old
0: <laughs> it's very old and it actually used to exclude surgery so i mean it's not to say that these things don't change so um i don't think the Hippocratic Oath is the reason that people um that doctors don't want to participate in this anymore yeah. the idea that they're saving lives is totally true but these people are already dying so there's nothing more that they can actually do for these people and perhaps the kindest thing to do if medicine is about caring is to relieve someone's suffering. And For some people unfortunately that is, that means dying sooner rather than later but not much sooner rather than really later because they are dying. Um, The doctor support varies across speciality. So GPs, there's almost 50% support Um, but certainly among palliative care professionals there's um, much less support. So it varies, um, and I think we'll see people coming or doctors coming out of the woodwork in support of this once it's legal or if it's legal and um, you know there's no there's no skin off their nose if they don't want to participate in this, mm-hmm. but who's suffering is patients their patients that they purport to care for um, yeah. you know so and it, I mean, I get a little bit of, sick of <laughs> sorry. I'm going to go on go, go. I get A little bit of, sick of doctors saying what's right and wrong for society. Yes, we trust them to make end of life decisions, but um, you know, this is a societal decision. It's not a medical decision. I agree. There's a lot of responsibility on doctors to do their best in um, carrying out assisted dying, and if they don't follow all of those 45 requirements, then there are serious, um, you know, potentially prosecution for them. But um, Yeah. I don't know. I think this is about what people want, not what doctors want.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, You know, and as you said before, uh, you know, a doctor is supposed to be there, I mean, you know, there to extend people's lives or, you know, keep people living, but people can refuse treatment anyway.
0: Yeah, and Uh, actually there's far less oversight to those end-of-life, you know, treatment, no, withdrawing life sustaining treatment decisions than there would be with this.
1: Yeah, yeah. What about um, the fact that is it true you only need forty eight hours between prescription to the the dose? Is that enough of a cooling off period?
0: Uh, okay. So, um, well, the quickest that the Ministry of Health and Ministry of Justice has said that it could take is um, four days. But that assumes that you're in hospital, that there's no doctors that are conscientious of rejection, there's no questions over your capacity, so you don't need a third. Um, Consultation from a psychiatrist. So, the people in my study certainly had been thinking about this for a long time. This wasn't a decision that they were going to rush into. In fact, I've got quotes that say, you know, this isn't something that people will do lightly. Um, you know, this is a really big decision that they've already been thinking about for a long time because, um, you know, this is their day to day lived reality. Mm-hmm. So, to say that people are going to rush into it is, um, I, I think, untrue. Uh, we don't technically have a cooling off period, but there's a huge, lengthy process that people need to go through before they can even access the medication. The medication has to be dispensed um, within 48 hours after the paperwork goes from the registrar, uh, goes to the registrar. So that person overlooks to see that every step has been followed, every box has been checked, um, to make sure that no one's inappropriately accessing this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So. They said more like, in the case, if the person's living in the community, it's more likely to take three weeks. Um, but in reality, they said it's more likely to take weeks to months, um, you know, to go through these processes. There's no mean feat, and especially um, if you think about delays to see your doctor. Yeah. Or, um, you know,
1: mm. getting, now, yeah. this, this, um, like we said, this is about terminal illness. So this can't occur for people that have a disability, for people that have severe mental illness, can it? That's right. Like
0: ins- so we adopted that clause from the Victorian legislation that said um, for advanced age, so old, um, mental illness and disability alone are not reasons enough to be eligible for assisted dying. So it's explicit that people um, with these. Criteria do not meet the do not meet the eligibility criteria. Yeah,
1: but people, I mean, people are assuming that you know, once this has gone through, it's going to be changed at some stage.
0: Well, that would have to go through a whole other parliamentary process again. You know, the public consultation. This bill's gone gone through Parliament, as you pointed out, since June two thousand and seventeen, mm-hmm. um, and so we've had a huge time to work out what it is that New Zealand's comfortable with the bill that was put in the ballot and was actually wider and it had this clause from the Canadian legislation saying grievous in a remedial medical condition and how they define that over there as serious illness, disability yeah. or disability. But, you know, the disability community spoke up and said, no, we don't want that. So that was removed um, from the... So there might be some confusion about who is eligible, but it's very clear now Yeah, that people with disability and mental illness are not eligible for those reasons alone.
1: I, I mean, I hope it's clear... I hope people know and everything so they can make an informed decision.
0: Um,
1: and once again, you know, um, it's, it's not about replacing the other options, is it? It's not like doing away with palliative care.
0: No, gosh, no. No, they're complementary. Um, and it's really, I think it's about thinking of a spectrum of end-of-life options.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and this is at the very end of the spectrum for a very few people who meet those criteria who decide that this is what they need.
1: Yeah, I'm. To be honest, I'm, I'm surprised by the reaction to the paid care community. I would have thought they've seen the suffering so many times through their lives. Um, but anyway, that's up to them. All right. Um,
0: so they've got is- a whole philosophy that they need to postpone or hasten death. So I can see why this doesn't fit. With that. Yeah. But um, you know, there's a whole lot of other health professionals who support this. For example, nurses match the public and their support. You know, two thirds. Yeah. Um, and they're on the coal face dealing with people.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, we don't. We, let's not talk about the New Zealand Medical Association. Um, <laughs> they don't know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. not. Go <laughs> oh god. Their members don't want to go there anymore. Um, That's
2: true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, brilliant. Well, is there anything else you you want to um, get out there? Just you want to sum up.
0: Oh, and um, well, I'd encourage people to think about um, you know the deaths that they've seen. Not all of them have unfortunately been good deaths, and this is a way of offering some people um, who need it um, a ch- another choice at the end of life. Even if you wouldn't use this act for yourself, don't deny others those choices. You know, um, I guess there's the analogy of abortion. You, know, you might not want abortion yourself, um, but you wouldn't stop someone else from doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is really compassionate. Safe act that um, we should pass because if not now, then this is unlikely. This is so a very
1: fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, now I mean it's, we can vote now in the general election, so we can vote now in the referendum as well. So if um, you have made your decision now, you can go down to a polling booth right this second. Uh, and tick whichever option that you uh, want to tick and you've got up until election day to do so and if you're not quite up with the game uh, you can check out uh, yesforcompassion.org.nz for a um, completely clear view of what the act says uh, and what it's all about um, unskewed. um, and you can find out more information um, all over the place as well so uh, dr jessica young um, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining me this morning thanks
0: Amy. you too, a one
1: yeah you too, you too it's, I'll, um, I'll, I'll talk to you soon again no doubt cool. cheers Have mate bye. bye right Dr Jessica Young there from Yes for Compassion and also a PhD candidate from here at Otago in the General Practice and Rural Health Department uh, talking about the referenda uh, end of life choice bill referenda which is on now uh, first part of the general election, go and get informed. Hopefully, that informed you um, some more if you weren't already or you need just a little bit more. Uh, but go check out the End of Choice um, Act, it's online.
0: That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz podcast.